know what really makes us mad? Is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk! What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lot of Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. This is a show where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. Today, we are joined by longtime friend of the show, frequent guest, good friend Corey, is here with us after... He was here last year, but yeah, yeah. this is the first time Dylan's actually been on with yeah. me and Corey in a while. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a guest in, at all. First guest of the new year, and hopefully first guest of uh, more guests this year. I think that's what we're kind of aiming yeah. for. Try to be a little more active and reaching out to people. Things should be easier now. Yeah, yeah, definitely planning on having more guests this year. And this is a good way to kind of like dip our toes in by having someone on who's been on a bunch of times in the past. So, you know. We didn't have to uh, make a whole new connection yeah. with someone. <laughs> so what do you do on this show? <laughs> you want me to do what? <laughs> and what are we talking about today, Dylan? Oh, I dropped the title. Where'd it go? We, it's been so long since we've done this that we've forgotten how we intro episodes with guests. Uh, we are talking about the year 2003 and the album Brothers Sisters by North of America, which... I didn't mention this on the show, but Me Without You, did they rip that off? Oh, I didn't even think of that. And you know, sonically, there are a lot of parallels there. They borrow from similar influences. You know, that would be interesting if if they were inspired by that. I mean, it's also just such a simple album yeah. title, too, that like anybody could use it. But it is. Yeah, it could have been. It's something just funny. Like, similar, you know, similar music and um, landing on that same phrase. Yeah, yeah, and not a super well-known band in the United States. They're a Canadian band. I think they made most of their cultural impact in Canada, but they also toured Europe as well. They're on level plane records, so that kind of gives you an idea of sort of what they sound like, but not really. Like It's definitely not your typical level plane sounding album. No, not really. But uh, yeah, it's a really good conversation. Uh, this band means a lot to Corey, so it's very happy to uh, have him talk about it with us and if you're interested in other albums that were released in the year 2003 if you head on to our patreon where last week we did a chart dive on the year 2003 we have previously covered the punk albums of 2003 so for this episode we covered the specifically non-punk albums of that year so patreon.com slash punk lotto pod one dollar gets you access to so much audio over 200 posts uh, you get tons of content there for just a buck. So check it out. Or you could join at our $10 tier and select which album we devote an entire episode to. So we've got a couple of those in the can. I think those are supposed to be released or done over the next month or so. But love, love doing those too. So we're on Redbubble. You can get a coffee mug that says Wake Up Posers. Or you can get a notebook that says, what's up, posers? Or you can get a throw pillow that just has our podcast logo on it. A lot of options there for you. We're on all forms of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Blue Sky Threads, all the sites. 
And if you join our if you join our Patreon, you get access to the podcast Discord. So don't forget that is another perk out there. But everything is pretty much at Punk Lotto Pod. You think of it, and we're on it with that name. And that'll do it from us now. And enjoy the show. And now our feature program. We are joined here today with longtime guest of the show, frequent frequent occurring guest, longtime friend. I don't know what else to describe you as. Good friend Corey. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Welcome back. It's been you were on last year. Yeah, you were. You were on last year with just me. I was on last year. We were talking about the exploding hearts. And yeah. I think it had been a while before that one. Yeah, I may. I think I had you on. Oh, I think I had you on at like the year in best of stuff at the beginning of that year. Which, I had done that for a couple of years, which I didn't do this year. Yeah, we we were going to. But then I think both of our schedules were just more hectic than we planned. And uh, it kind of fell through. So what were your favorite albums of 2023? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't have a list. I don't know. We're a month into the year. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a list prepared. But off the top of my head. The two that I listened to the most were definitely Sydney Sprague's Somebody in Hell Loves You and Julie Burns' The Greatest Wings. Yeah, I think I remember you specifically calling those out when they came out that they were like your favorite records of the year already. So I, I whenever they pretty well on first listen in each of them that I was going to listen to almost nothing but these for the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, then, and then I told you I told you last week, too, I, I haven't done this for 2024. I'm thinking about it for 2025. We'll see. I, I kind of want to know what happens to a person if you do nothing but listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers for an entire year. Like, don't take in any other music. Any, like, incidental music in the grocery store or something is fine. I can't I can't control that. But of my own choosing, what happens to someone in a full calendar year of only listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers? So next year, perhaps... <laughs> <laughs> my favorite album is going to be mother's milk <laughs> i think you become anthony kiedis you just gonna scat all the time <laughs> maybe i can like attune to to flee and his vibes <laughs> so so naked so taking your clothes off a lot constantly <laughs> and always having a trumpet nearby <laughs> And you don't know where it came from because I've been naked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're definitely going to be shirtless regardless. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a given. So I'm going to spend 2024 getting really buff. <laughs> yeah. In preparation for being spending 2025 shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it probably will be just in time for that Anthony Kiedis biopic that's supposed to be coming out. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, it was announced like this week. They're yeah, they're making a movie about Anthony Kiedis, not the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anthony Kiedis specifically. Who's gonna Who's gonna play Keto? I don't know. I don't know. If they picked anybody yet. There's rumors of people being like Justin Long. He looks just like him with a mustache. <laughs> but he hasn't always had a mustache. The mustache is relatively new. Yeah, yeah, right. Because the mustache is like yeah, very new. I don't know. Dylan, you moved to California some years ago. Why did you not embrace uh, a Chili Peps aesthetic? Yeah, I, it's, it's a lifestyle I don't think I can commit to yet. Um, <laughs> haven't been here long enough. <laughs> How long do you think it takes? Like, is it is it like dyed in the wool, California? 
Only. Yeah, you might really have to be born here for it. I don't know. <laughs> the best you can achieve is 311 if yeah. you're an outsider. They're not even Maybe from civil. California. They're from Omaha. That's yeah. the point. They represent the California lifestyle, but they're not from California. I see where you're going. Okay. <laughs> My, uh, I hadn't thought of that before. <laughs> you know what? When I got really into 311, it was when I was living in California. See? It, they're perfect for that culture. Whenever I think of a lot of times when I think about a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan and what that person is, a lot of times or usually I think of uh, when I worked when I was in Phoenix, there was a girl that worked at the coffee shop or cafe that was in an office building who she was originally from California, I want to say, and her family maybe moved to Phoenix. She was Mormon, so she couldn't <laughs> which didn't make any sense. I don't understand why she got a job at a coffee shop. She she couldn't she can't have try the coffee at all. Like they were like trying to show her, like teach her how to make it. I was like, how can you do this job? <laughs> like <laughs> she like she wouldn't even take. They were like, you can't even like taste it and spit it out. It's like not at all. It's like, but she, I want to say her favorite band was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And like this doesn't work. <laughs> you can't be Mormon and your favorite band is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> they take their clothes off all the time. I guess maybe they don't do that anymore. I don't know. They still do it sometimes. I think they, yeah. I think Flea at least does. Flea I, is a I guess big she averts, fan. averts her eyes. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. It's like, this doesn't make any sense at all to me that you're you Mormon and working show? at a coffee shop and you <laughs> love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Have you ever seen a band live where one of the members got naked? Not in person, no. I have. I don't want to. I saw Hour of the Wolf at Fest, and their bass player got completely naked. Flea style. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... Blast enough flea style. (laughs) I may have seen a local band where there was some some onstage nudity. None that that would have been known, though. It sucks. (laughs) I don't like it. It feels like this weird, like, oh, come on, man. Like, what are you, what are you, you didn't ask us if this was cool. (laughs) I guess if you go into the Red Hot Chili Peppers shows, you know to expect that now because it's been pretty well established. But yeah, there's definitely like, you know, those artists, you know, a Gigi Allen or a a Jesus Lizard or the ones that are known for doing that. You're just like, all right, I know what I'm, (laughs) my, uh, the drummer that I played with in Phoenix for a long time, his wife accidentally saw Gigi Allen in Denver. <laughs> oh, she, like no. someone told her to go to the show and she didn't know who he was playing. So she was like, yep, I saw Gigi Allen. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> I would so- not have gone if I had known who it was. That's such a good story to have though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad that that's a, that's a thing that has kind of died out in music. Like it's not as, common anymore for like these shocking artists to just be like now i'm naked it's like i think everybody's just like one it's not shocking anymore because it's been done but even then it's still like nobody wants it usually (laughs) at a show i was i was just thinking last week because super chunk is is coming to vancouver next month and fucked up is touring with them and damien used to used to shove drumsticks up his ass when he was playing and (laughs) And he would he would he would do the mangina. He would tuck his dick between his legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But why I was thinking about this was because you know he probably hasn't done that in a decade. Yeah. And I was just thinking about I was just thinking about I guess like 
you know, life's trajectory and, and looking back at some moments of your life and, and cringing or feeling shame or feeling regret, maybe, maybe he doesn't have that. And I hope, I hope he doesn't have those kinds of, those kinds of feelings. But if I think, I think if I spent like my early twenties shoving drumsticks up my ass on stage, when I turned 40, I would be like, why, what was I doing? Like, I, I don't think I'd be able to look back on myself and, and have neutral feelings about that. <laughs> it's just all performance art. So like, you know, you, if you can't handle it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how people justify that. <laughs> Certain artists, there's a lot of substance involved. Um, yeah. But yeah. He was straight edge at the time. But he was straight edge. So <laughs> his was definitely more of a, this is a performance piece. So I guess yeah. that's what you're, uh, well, and he would, you're you thinking know, is now. Thinking of Damien specifically, like he would, he he's, he's done lots of stuff with wrestling and has been very uh, open about his love for wrestling. Like he used to, cut himself open on stage as well and bring a lot of that that performance inspiration from wrestling yeah i don't yeah, know but a- i don't know any wrestlers who shove stuff up their butt on in a wrestling <laughs> match <laughs> that's not typical <laughs> being <laughs> naked's not even that common in wrestling i mean they're like mostly naked because they're wearing like wrestling trunks but going full naked is not really yeah. a common thing either <laughs> nobody wants to uh no one wants to show those steroid uh, side effects. <laughs> they want to maintain the illusion. Yeah, there's Plus. a lot of there's a lot of like bending too, and yeah. <laughs> a lot of being like folded into unflattering positions. Yeah. <laughs> is this like the grossest way we've ever started an episode? No, this is great. We made our way from from the chili peps to <laughs> performance art. <laughs> We'll work our way back to a better place. Kept it punk. <laughs> yeah. Where are we going? What are we doing? I, you know, so I did actually want to ask you, because I remember last year when we talked about like our best of how you were changing your approach to how you kept track of what you listened to over the year. Cause you, I believe you were saying that you thought that like you were more focused on completing a list and Mark checking something off than like actually spending time with, albums you enjoyed yeah. did you did you did your change you make this year like actually you know positively work for you i think so i think i was able to spend more time with albums that i wanted to spend time with instead of constantly pursuing something new for the sake of pursuing something new so i i i think what i tried to do last year and when i'm trying to do this year as well is still remain open to, to, to newness, still remain open to finding new music. Um, not really changing much in the way of how I still spend my time looking for new music, but just being more okay with stepping out of something when it is not enjoyable. I, I, I'm not, I'm no longer committing. I think in years past, since I started tracking it this way, since you infected my brain, <laughs> um, I, I think that I, have become more okay with getting a couple of of songs in and saying this is not for me not 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 sticking it out just for the sake of having it uh, like a completionist approach to it so yeah, i still I definitely... make i still make month what, what what i started last year and what i've continued this year is i make monthly playlists and every new release i find that seems interesting or exciting to me i pop it in that playlist um and if I make it through it, then great. And if I don't make it through it, then 
that's what happens. Part of that also is is that last year, just about midway through the year, I got super busy and I just didn't have time in my week anymore to really obsessively track what I had finished listening to. And I'm still very busy and I am just continuing that. So I've got a long playlist. I don't know, January is probably like 20 hours of music already so far. And I would say I've listened to, to most of it, but there's a few things on there that I just haven't bothered to finish. Yeah, I remember telling you, I was like, you got to cut bait. You get three songs in, you don't like it. Cut bait. You don't have to finish it. Yeah. But then in that still, I don't understand how you still end up with like 800 releases on your list. This year, I actually did less than the year before. And actually, a couple years before as well. This year, I also got really busy this year, too. Like I went from I was doing school internship. And then going from a job where I only worked three days a week to a job where I work five days a week. So like my just like time to listen to stuff really fell off. So, yeah, I I only did maybe like 350 for the whole year of new new albums that year, including like EPs and stuff. So, yeah, I I found myself cutting bait very early on a lot of records this year, as well as like if the if something stayed on my list for too long, I just cut it entirely without even listening to it. I was like, clearly I'm not motivated to listen to this. So why is it going to just sit here and pile up on my list? So right. yeah, I kind of changed my approach to a little bit. So we're going back in time then today. Yes. Yeah, so we asked you onto the show and we had, we had originally asked you what, you know, what do you want to do? Basically, it's like, do you want to do us give you a year and we pick something? And then you told us, hey, why don't you pick what we uh, what we talk about? I wanted to put on you this week. <laughs> <laughs> so what Dylan and I did is we each chose two albums each. We chose two serious choices and two silly choices. We randomly pulled the year 2003. So I just threw it. I threw like the years 1976 to 2023 into a number generator and it gave me 2003. And I didn't really investigate, you know, when the last time we did it. Turns out last time we did it was with you last year, which is very <laughs> funny coincidence. But we had a couple options and I wanted to see what those four were real quick. I just well, we only pick. ended up giving one each. No, we did two one. each. You give me four. Yeah, we gave him four albums to choose from. Oh, yeah, we gave him we each. You said two silly and two serious each. But you. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, the way you worded it, I was like, I only gave you one of each. <laughs> we gave him eight albums to choose from. Yeah. So we gave him the record that we are wound up talking about today. <clears throat> uh, I also gave you the Mest self-titled album. <laughs> I have no idea what's on that or what that sounds like at all. <laughs> and then Dylan selected Paint It Black's CVA, which is the first Paint It Black record, as well as FM Static's What Are You Waiting For?, which was the uh, the pop punk side project of the Christian new metal band Thousand Foot Crutch. And yeah, I didn't want to do any of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I also didn't know that we had previously talked about 2003 until I looked at the chart today. And the first page of the results was very familiar from what we talked about back in June. So maybe before we reveal what we're actually going to talk about today, maybe we talk about... Page two of the list. Page two of these charts. Yeah, let's see. What's on page two? There's some good albums on here. There's an album I think you love. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Reconstruction Site by The Weaker Thans. Is that the one yep. you're referring to? Yeah. Oh, there's, two, there's two then that I think you love. Hmm. Hmm. Don't you also no. love Bear vs. Shark? 
Oh, I do. Uh, I haven't got to it yet. Then I'm just scrolling down through the bottom of the list. I started at the bottom of the list. Oh, mm. yeah. This was also the year of um, one of the last great Rancid albums, Indestructible. They put out some some fine albums between now and then, but Indestructible is probably the last the last of the the classic era. And even that, there's been some revisionist history on there. It was not well received at first because it was on Warner, but it's been it's been looked at favorably retroactively in 2003 i was a big fan of as dying's frail words collapse <laughs> mm. <laughs> this is pre-wife attempted murder <laughs> this <laughs> yeah this was just when it was generic metalcore okay yeah. so, so he gets a pass but other people don't come on you gotta live your ethics better i've got i've got i've got a bone to pick with you later because i know something's gonna come up but <laughs> okay <laughs> i have no idea where this is going but okay um I don't give him a pass, but the United States government decided that he served his time and he is allowed to leave. And the rest of the band, I guess, decided that's fine, too. And they just restarted the band with him. So good for them, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know who still wants Azale dying records. Uh, no, right. Not 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 really. I fell off of them before the. I didn't I didn't like them before the attempted wife yeah. murder. Yeah, so. <laughs> those people who are always like i never liked that band anyway it's like yeah. that's not the point <laughs> what's being said here <laughs> yeah i mean there's a great against me album on here at 49 as the eternal cowboy yeah that's the is that the um that's the first, first records yeah release yeah i saw them on that tour uh just before it came out i listened to cliche guevara probably every day for Close to a decade. <laughs> is that the one you said? Like you started started your day with? Is there a yeah. song that you started your day with? Is that it? Yep. <laughs> I would start <laughs> my day with it. I would put it on every mixtape and mix CD. It was just it was around for a long time. I still love that song. I still love that album. Uh, there's a decent Ted Leo album on here, which is also going to come back to matter in a little bit. Hearts of Oak, not my favorite, but it's a good one. You're, you're sowing all these seeds and I have no idea where they're going. So that's <laughs> well, hopefully I, hopefully I, I close that loop and hopefully I don't forget, but <laughs> uh, we have good morning by alkaline trio, which is probably their last of that run where people were for the most part still on board. Like, I don't think people were like hardcore against that record. Uh, it's crimson's the one where everybody's like, what the fuck? But you got bells on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I can't I can't really separate my own experiences in 2003 from this list. So it's it's also entirely possible that that this list is an accurate representation of how people feel about about this year. But like, there's there's just some huge records, and again, maybe they were just huge to me personally. But like, Cursed's first album is on here. This was a big year for music. On the Might of Princes, Constantine's Shine a Light is on here. Yeah, you know, I I saw that after we had like selected albums, and I was yeah. like, oh, that actually would have been a good one to to suggest to you to do. I might come back to that later too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're keeping you locked in uh, 2003. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, the last, I mean, I was, I don't know how old you guys were in 2003. I, I would have been 18, and so I mean, for a lot of people who are heavily involved in in music, both in in creating music and participating in local music scenes. I was probably never more actively engaged than I was in that 
you know, five to seven year window between, I don't know, 17 and probably 24 or so. Did. I was 13, so I bought that Reliant K record that came out <laughs> that year. <laughs> and I think I maybe got that beloved record for Christmas that year. Well, I had I had just finished I had just finished high school and I took a couple of years off after high school to just to just work and to make music and to hang out with friends. So again, I can't separate it from like really fond memories of that time in my life. Yeah, it's just it's a it's it's a weird first page of the charts compared I to what just, came out that year. I just realized too that we've made you talk about another 2003 album on the show before. <laughs> Which one? Misfits Project 1950. <laughs> you were on the Halloween Spectacular episode on that episode on that album. <laughs> I mean, that's time. That's that's timeless though. That's not. Yeah. It's, well, it's 1950. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I did. That's now two. This is now the third time you're talking about an album released in 2003 on the show. <laughs> I think we should we should keep it going. Did the Chili Peps have an album in 2003? Ooh, you know what? Is that around when did Stadium Arcadium come out? I feel like that's two, 2004 or five. I have I have no idea. <laughs> um, what the year? Red Hot Cheesy Peppers. <laughs> oh, they had released By the Way in 2002. 2002. Oh, I can't. I can't listen to it until next year. Then Stadium yeah. Arcadium. Stadium Arcadium was 2006. So they were definitely still playing songs off of. By the way, in 2003. So oh yeah, yeah. you would have been hearing. Oh, I don't know the Zephyr song, or <laughs> uh, by the way itself. Yeah, I can't wait to spend more time with those next year <laughs> there is a dvd of the august 23rd 2003 concert in slane castle from the by the way tour so that's our 2003 chili peppers content we can watch that live performance like slane castle I'll that on youtube later <laughs> it's one it's an hour and 41 minutes that's the perfect episode length yeah does that mean their shows are like two hours almost two hours long yeah i yeah, mean you gotta get to the stadium you got to add like a two minute scat break to every song. It's kind of <laughs> stretch out. I think Dylan, you're putting much more emphasis on the scatting side of red hot chili peppers than, than there actually is. You're forgetting the rapping. <laughs> the rapping. I mean, that that's, that's the conceit of the chili peps is that, that I actually think instrumentally, there's a lot of interesting things going on, but you, you have to accept Ketis. You, you, you don't get away from him. <laughs> John Frusciante is a good guitarist. He 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 he's a he's a pro he's a, a technically proficient guitarist, but he's also like you know there's there's a, there's some emotionality to his his playing. It's not just it's not just wanking. <laughs> I hear that said a lot of, of him as a guitarist, but just can't get just can't get past the keyed. But but he's he's there. You can't you can't take him away from that. <laughs> It's like a soup without a without an ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> Has the drummer from Red Hot Chili Peppers looked like Will Ferrell his entire life, or is that something he aged into? I don't know. <laughs> I've never looked at him like pre him showing up on late night talk shows with Will <laughs> Ferrell. <laughs> his name Chad. 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 We're getting off topic, guys. It's my fault. Yeah, I think he's always had a feral face. <laughs> um yeah should we should we talk about the actual album yeah sure. so we gave, about, the, 
2003 and being 13. You were 13 in 2003? No, no, unless you have other thoughts about 2003 and being 13. Was 13 a hard year for you, Dylan? No, not particularly. It's one of those... It's one of those years where I just don't really have any like distinct. It's just like that early teen time period where you're just like, there's not really any distinct things, you know, 2003 going on in your life. We were homeschooled. You know, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> exciting. Um, Every year is the same because our brother was born in. He was born in 03. <laughs> he was born in 03. That's the thing. That's what happened in 03. Yeah. Which is probably why I don't really remember anything else. Because there was a screaming baby in the house. (laughs) (laughs) This is riveting podcasting. It like is dawning on us what what happened whenever. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) the trio of navel gazers. (laughs) Me falling asleep. Uh, I do. Yeah, me falling falling asleep on the couch while we're reading Lord of the Rings, probably. Yeah, yeah. Out loud group reading Lord of the Rings when. When I was 13, I may have told this story on the pod before. I can't remember. When I was 13, though, I I was just so tired one day. <laughs> and we were living in California at the time. And my parents had this big walk-in bathroom. And I don't know when the house was built. Probably in the, in the 70s or 80s. And there was carpeting that extended into their bathroom. Like fuzzy pink carpeting. And I was so tired. And I would always shower in their bathroom. My, my period house didn't have a bathroom. Um, and the carpet was just so soft. The lights were warm. It was like a nice heated bathroom. And I would turn the shower on to like get a bunch of steam in the room and make it really hot and just like sit outside and wait for it to get really hot before I would get in the shower. And I was so tired that I fell asleep on the floor and I don't know how long, I I don't know why I was just lying on the floor, but I was, I was asleep for long enough for people to become concerned about me and to start like banging on the door (laughs) and that woke me up and i remember just being like naked and disoriented <laughs> and my parents were like what the hell's wrong with you and i remember my dad screaming at me and like my eye because i've been like laying on the carpet looking up at the bright lights i guess and like my eyes were red and my dad just i remember my dad yelling are you on drugs tell us <laughs> <laughs> that's what i remember about being 13 <laughs> I bet that water was cold by the time uh, (laughs) you got in the shower. (laughs) Well, (laughs) segueing into the rest of the show. So we chose the year 2003 and out of the options we gave you, you selected Brothers Sisters by North of America.
have a few basic stats about the record. So the band is from Halifax, Nova Scotia. They formed in 1997 with members of previous bands, State Champs and The Motes. This was released April 21st or May 2nd or May 12th or May 20th, 2003. The internet doesn't know when this came out. We're going to say May of 2003 and was released on Level Plane Records in the United States. Rowika in Germany. I couldn't find the Canadian label. Did they just get Level Press up in Canada? Yeah, we just had Level Plane. I said Level Press? Level. <laughs> yeah, Level Plane. And the person on this record is Jim McAlpine. So I pieced together what instruments people played from a later article. So I don't know exactly everything they played. But Jim McAlpine plays guitar. Mark, they would switch, too. Mark Colavecchia plays bass. Mark Mullane on guitar. And Michael Cantano on drums. But you're right. A lot of the members traded. The liner notes don't say what anyone plays on the record. So it's just their names. I pieced that together from a 2023 article about what people play now. So... And it was recorded by Michael Catano Catano or Cantano? Catano. And this is the band's third full-length album, following These Arms Are Cursed in 1999, and this is Dance Floor Numerology in 2001. These, and these th- songs are cursed. You're getting These Arms Are Snakes mixed up with These Songs Are Cursed. More than likely, it's my phone autocorrected something that I wasn't trying to say, and I've done that many, many times. <laughs> these Songs Are Cursed. And uh, this is Jim McAlpine's first album with the band after replacing founding member Jay LaPointe. So we kind of know why, based on the the options that we gave you, (laughs) why you chose this album over the other ones. But uh, walk us through your history and and experiences with the band North of America. I have a long history with this band, um, starting from our, 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 our point of origin. I don't know if I don't know if the entire band are. Are Haligonians, but I myself was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, some years before the band started. That's always been a little bit of a, a connection. But more importantly, when I was living in Ottawa, when they were most active, they would play Ottawa with, at least from my memory, what seemed like such alarming frequency that I never actually saw them until they after until after they they broke up for the first time because they came so often and something always came up. I was always busy with with work or something else that I always just told myself, well, they're here all the time. They're here like five times a year. I'll just see them next time. And eventually I ran out of next times and I never got to see them. But then, as I mentioned to you quickly uh, in, in choosing this album, I also have a very a very personal connection to this album um, in that they are the reason that my now wife and I met. Um, We met online long before meeting people online was a more regular occurrence. And um, the way we met and connected was our, our shared interest in, in North America and not many people knowing who North America was and yeah, finding each other in that way. So they were this, this like catalyst to, to, to us meeting and we are still together 20 years later. Yeah, I, you you mentioned that whenever we were talking about this record. And over the years, you and I have talked back and forth about this band. You you definitely introduced them to me because I I wasn't familiar with them at all. And I, I hadn't spent any time with this album. I probably heard it, but I don't think I spent any substantial amount of time with this record. I probably spent more time with the first album 
that's one that I, I think I even mentioned. I maybe even talked about it on like a, a starting five bonus audio we did for the Patreon. So yeah, this was a band that I was like, oh, Corey loves this band. So I'm going to make this an option thinking he, he'll probably choose it or he'll be tempted by these wacky choices and just, <laughs> just to do punishment. But <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't feel like I had the time to punish myself or you this week. <laughs> Next time we'll only give you punishment options. Excellent. <laughs> but but also that. like my my relationship with this band started, and I don't know if you have have similar experiences with with other bands. I can't remember the exact site because there were so many of them at the time. But I'm thinking of sites like like MP3.com, um, like was it All Music? All Music at the time. Uh, you could also you could also download MP3s from. Um, so I, I, I can't, I can't trace it back to, to a specific site, but at that time I was always going through those sites and like flipping through the, the punk tags, flipping through the indie tags and, and just trying to find music to get excited about. And then I would do this thing where I would find uh, a song that I liked. I would write it down and then I would walk over to CD warehouse, which was this, this big music store. Um, they had a couple of locations throughout Ottawa and one was close to my house. I would walk over and I would, uh, inevitably not be able to find what I was looking for there. And so I would ask the store, they would, they would special order things in for you. So I'd ask them to order in CDs. And what I loved about them so much is that you weren't beholden to then purchase the CD that you ordered in. Um, and I just, I ordered so many CDs and then would, would listen to them in store because they would let you listen to it there before you actually bought it and then decide after after maybe two songs that I was not going to purchase this because also <laughs> they would usually be like a really expensive import. You probably didn't have to experience this so much in America, but for a certain generation of Canadian import CDs were a, a big part of our musical foundation. Like I've probably talked about this before on, on pod. Like I forced myself to love crass because I spent, I spent $40 on a CD. That I found <laughs> <cheap>. <laughs> and so, you know, for, a, a, again, for a, a generation of, of Canadian punks in particular, this, this is going to be a very familiar occurrence. Um, if you have any other Canadian listeners around my age um, of, of really having to force yourself to, to love something because, the store wasn't taking it back, but CD Warehouse was special because they wouldn't force you to buy it. And so I came across an MP3 of um, track two on Brothers Sisters, Wet to Dance. And similar to like some other bands that I had I had come across at the time, just like was this really unfamiliar sound, but that I could tell was coming from a space that I, I already understood. Like it was like, like there was... I don't know. There was a sense of familiarity, even in the unfamiliarity. So I heard "Wet to Dance," kind of like blew my mind, changed what I, what I thought about music, and then asked CD Warehouse to bring it in, and I and I bought it. You um, didn't listen to two songs and say, "Nah, leave it here." <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that one good song, luck selling this. <laughs> I think that one song was probably good enough, and also because it, it probably would it probably would have been an import coming from Level Plane, but we did have we did have fairly good distribution for level playing. So I remember their CDs were not always 
super expensive. So, so North America was probably not that expensive. Um, and then again, at the time I was like, I was becoming more involved in, in local music and, and going to tons of shows and seeing their names on flyers all the time. So realizing that this is exciting. This is a, a band from, from Canada. This is a band I can, I can get invested in. And yeah, really, really loved this album of, of their discography. It's, it's not my favorite, but it was my introduction to the band. So it is still, does still have this, this important place. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk about it today. I'm excited to hear your thoughts about it. I think that you, the two of you, probably have a little bit more familiarity with where I think they're drawing from than I do, because I would say that most of the music I listen to doesn't sound like this. But also, I'm curious to hear your impressions, because also this album is kind of an outlier in their discography. It doesn't really sound like the rest of it. They kind of leveled up the production on this one. sounds a lot crisper um, than their earlier releases. And I think they were kind of trying, they were trying out some different sounds on it. I'm trying to think of where, where to start, because you, you said a lot of stuff there, trying to decide which, what I want to pick out first. Well, you mentioned not talking about this record specifically, but I do want to talk about the the experience of forcing yourself to love something. I think that's something from this time period that is pretty universal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I can definitely understand how it would be doubly so having to import things you're just like i really really gotta like this now (laughs) whereas like it was just that extra cost and also like historically things you know consumer goods are just cheaper in the states there's a reason why especially when the dollar's good canadians go across border for shopping there's just like you you just you have that built into your 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 economic system i i think that if i can generalize for a second i think americans in particular have a real averseness to overpaying for things like you, you just don't accept it like there's a reason why you know you can still live comfortably in in certain parts of america and, and i know that america is experiencing inflation in the same ways um as 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 we are up here as well but just for for comparison's sake i was looking at real estate last night as i was listening to this album in halifax and i don't know what my parents spent for for um I don't know what, our, what my parents paid for our house when we lived there, but I had I have to imagine it was probably under a hundred thousand dollars. House in that neighborhood now is eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and so just like we just don't have that same cultural uh, like pushback against. <laughs> we just like we just accept it. So for for me, it was just it sucked, but it was normal and. So, you know, where you could maybe have picked up two or three CDs that you were going to force yourself to love. Yeah. <laughs> one that I had to force myself to love because it cost me $40. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I do think more stores probably could have benefited from that, like letting you hear it, you know, option. But also they don't care because you could always just be like, no refunds. You open yeah. it. It's yours. Okay. You don't, you know, you can't bring it back. But I think having that ability to sample something or like check something out, it made you a little bit more likely to come back to that store specifically. Cause then you'd be like, well, I can go back and try something else to see if I like that instead. You know? Yeah. I was in CD warehouse probably three to five times a week. Yeah. I would go there all the time with my friend. Yeah. We listened. Yeah. I mean, we bought a lot of Christian rock from this time period. <laughs> yeah. That was an option. The Christian bookstores were generally like, yeah, you can open that and listen to it. Cause yeah, they probably had to, because they probably had to let parents hear stuff all the time (laughs) right there's like we're never gonna sell this stuff if their parents are like what is this it's got skulls on it (laughs) no it's christian 
<laughs> they gotta flip through the lyric book. Yeah. <clears throat> This is also the same time period where you would just like read about something, never hear a single song the band has recorded, and you would just see it at a store and be like, "Well, I guess I'm gonna buy it because like I <laughs> heard really good things about it, and they like were friends with another band that I already like, so we'll take this chance on this album." That right. usually worked out, and a lot of times you'd you'd find yourself exposed to something that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise heard, but uh, yeah, it it was always a it was always a coin toss whether it was yeah. good or not but Bu- buying music in that time time period in general was a gamble I, I do think you really didn't have you could judge like some stores had cd listening stations where it was like the the computer bank of like 30 second samples of stuff and you could kind of right. judge on, based on that but you could go scan the cd in the walmart music aisle <laughs> yeah and just like it blares from a tiny shitty little laptop speaker <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy this messed CD. I Good had stuff. it in my head for a very long period of time. Like, you only had so much money at that age. You only had so much money at a time. And so then you would you would plan your future purchases out. Like, at least I would. I'd be like, all right, well, I'm eyeballing five at, the t- at this time. I'll probably buy this one. But there's this mess CD that's out. That was one of the ones that was like, if I had enough money to buy five at one time, I probably would have bought <laughs> a mess CD. <laughs> but fortunately, like something else came out that bumped that further down the list. So <laughs> that was partly why I chose messed for our options there, because it's probably terrible. Probably. Yeah. Well, I'm glad oh. I didn't pick that one. <laughs> I was never as prepared as Justin in terms of like having a shopping list. But mm. I did buy a lot of stuff that Justin was like, you should buy this. <laughs> Even though he on- had a you have it already? No, 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 no. Oh, never, okay. never. We never, yeah, we didn't overlap. Okay. We shared our CDs. It was your CD, but you yeah, kept yeah. it in your CD book. <laughs> but it, we could, we could borrow it from but you each could other. Just go listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I, I want to know your thoughts because also I think that that on kind of like the, the the first two songs in particular, in comparison with the rest of the album, there is a little bit of a, a shift. And maybe you didn't pick up on this, but it was something I noticed going back to it. And I think at least for casual listeners, if you are familiar with that time period and maybe you only sampled the first two songs, you could easily confuse them as being like, like a proto sascore or like a like a white belt kind of band yeah. and that's not the case that's not the case i want to just state that plainly that's not that's not the case um for for me 
I see them as as being much more of um, I think of them as being almost like a like a indebted to pavement, like a, a post hardcore band after pavement that kind of took that like and I think it's more apparent on other albums. If we talked about these songs are cursed, it, this this probably would have made more sense. But I also think that it's true um, once you get past those first two songs on the album that there is. I know there's that like like that 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 slowness. There's like the 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 kind of jangly guitars at times um, that I think they're pulling from from pavement esque indie rock. Also, unfortunately, on those two songs, like I kind of wish they didn't start the album off with those two songs. There's like a there's like kind of a squawkiness to the vocals that again could be really easily mistaken for sitting comfortably alongside things like Blood Blood Brothers and other other white belt bands of the time. But I think they make more sense if you think of the Minute Lineage alongside bands like Pavement, bands like um, Early Modest Mouse, even to kind of pull into your recent listening, Justin, um, even Early Pinback. But then, but then fed through like Fugazi, that like DC post-hardcore scene, um, or even thinking of them alongside other Canadian bands, I hear hints of. Uh, early Constantines, especially in songs like like Oh My God, Oh My God, Oh My God, that to me sounds like a, a Constantine song off um, Shine Light, which came out the same year. Yeah, I definitely, listening to this record, I am of like two minds with this record because there is like this, yeah, you call it like the sass core. I'm thinking more too of like the, the Q and Not You and Black Eyes and like the Discord bands at the same time period, like the... Mm. I guess you could always you could kind of put those in with that similar vein as like Blood Brothers and what else was going along with well, that. They, they were on a Screamo label too with Level Plane. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, like it's definitely a factor. It's it's something that's there. I think there was even like a review that specifically pointed out specifically pointed out like Pretty Girls Make Graves and Q Not You as like direct like contemporaries that they would really be compared to. Mm. And you're right. I do hear that. And it is more at the front of the record. It's very front loaded. My guess is that maybe was it the suggestion of level plane or perhaps the the band thinking we're on level plane. So maybe we should put that type of song a little bit more in the front of the record. I could see that being the case. But I also very much hear the Fugazi sound. The I think the band is supposedly very heavily influenced by Polvo and a lot of like the Chapel Hill bands. Like I've seen comparisons to some Archers of Loaf and I've seen a super chunk comparison. I don't really hear that too much, but no, definitely, I... definitely Polvo, definitely some Archers of Loaf in there. I did think of like Seam a little bit, which is an, would have been another Chapel Hill band that moved to Chicago. But in there's a little Chicago in there, too. There's a little bit of like that noise rocky sort of the shellacky sort of stuff in there. Yeah, like I mean, one one. One kind of genre tag that I don't think gets brought up enough when when talking about them is yeah like that that math that math rock influence yeah yeah especially yeah, I, and again maybe maybe more pronounced on on other releases but I I I still hear tints of that yeah that Chicago sound as well that shellac that Don Caballero kind of of flinched. especially drums yeah science. I was thinking Crown Hate Ruin too because like with the Discord connection there yeah specifically yeah so yeah. it is it, it's a little bit of all of that Dylan. You mentioned the SAS core thing, and I, I can see that similarity in, in where this sits. But it was my first impression, like on the first couple of songs, like starting the, the record, I was like, oh, OK, this is this is kind of proto native, the, the math rock 
um, post-hardcore stuff that would be really popular when I was in college. So it was like, like this, which like I can, you know, I can draw that connection to like these arms are snakes and, you know, a lot of those other like angular post-hardcore bands and everything that was in that, you know, post-Fugazi world, you know, definitely, yeah, definitely associate that with Chicago and, and DC, but yeah and i mean there are some other other aspects to the band that very much place them in a in a particular time like this was kind of i think the unfortunate era where like being a little bit obtuse while also trying to be like kind of poetic and, and clever in your lyrics was <laughs> was a big thing and like what kind of happens in that is is you're you don't really end up at least for me as someone who is is motivated by by lyrics and by connecting with lyrics um you you lose some of the opportunity to be be affected by lyrics i guess like <laughs> one of the ones that stood out to me as i was re- going back to this was um we are what we revel in we are what we revile like it's just like it sounds cool but i don't i don't actually know what it means <laughs> and and there's a lot of that like even even in the in the song titling and they were they were they were they were a band that were known for trying to be a little bit funny in their in their sound titling song titling like keep it on the download that would have been really funny in 2003 <laughs> yeah <laughs> in a way that now i think would just kind of make people roll their eyes but yeah. also the opening and the, i love that song and the opening and the closing of that song are are very fugazi-esque yeah yeah that that, that plinking kind of guitar thing that they're doing in that song yeah yeah very fugazi yeah yeah um I also want to say too that, like, I think that I think that for this album, I think that they were hoping that it would, it would kind of, you know, bring them up a level. I think that they were hoping that um, it would be able to to move in towards towards a more sustainable music career, and and unfortunately it didn't really seem like that happened. And you know, here's kind of where I I admit that at least for your your listeners, many of whom might not be familiar with this band. But also in a way that, that reminds people that like part of the exciting thing about the show is that people get to come on and talk about music that meant a lot to them. And that's not always big albums. Um, you know, this this band has had an outsized importance in my life for about 20 years now for lots of reasons. But then it was when it was when going to Spotify to to throw it on while I was doing some work and making some notes last night that I saw they have like under a thousand listeners per month. So yeah. <laughs> this is not a band that has, has captured the the long-term um, imagination, but a band that I think for a lot of people was really important at a, at a particular time and place. Yeah. Prior to you introducing me to them a few years ago, like I'd never heard of them. Like they, like their name wasn't even that familiar with me. So and I don't know if that's, they're hard to find information about. I was chatting with a, a pal last night about the band because he would have been into them at the same time I was. And we both had t-shirts from the band, different t-shirts that neither of us have been able to locate since. Like I can't find a record of it online because it's really hard to just search the terms North, North America shirt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I had a really cool shirt. It had, it it said, I'm so glad I live North of America. Great shirt. (laughs) I like on it. You couldn't even put that into Google. Like that would probably just give you like maps of Canada over I, the United States. <laughs> no, I, I actually did it last night. It gives you a bunch of patriotic American shirts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> These colors don't run. <laughs> okay, I need to think about pulling together the threads that I had 
it had opened up to earlier. Uh, okay, I talked about the Constantines and hearing hearing that in here. Um, I talked about why they were important, and then I talked about you being an as I lie an as I lay dying defender. <laughs> <laughs> I need to bring I need to bring that thread to a close. Not a defender. Well, don't you know? <laughs> you let things slide. <laughs> I'm not letting that slide. I'm not. I haven't listened to an Azalea Dying record since the man went to jail. <laughs> I think every single time we ever mention Azalea Dying on this show, we we <laughs> immediately follow it with attempted wife murder. Yeah, I know you guys. You guys do that. You love to do that, and you're going to do that now. <laughs> okay, keep in mind this was 2003, and so we didn't yet know what we know now. So let's just let's just say that. In in Let's Get Sick to Our Stomachs, which is probably my favorite song off the record. And when I when I finally did get to see them uh, a couple of years after they broke up, they came back together for a short tour with Ted Leo and the Pharmacists and they played Ottawa. And my now wife and I went to see them together and just got to spend a minute with Jim McAlpine before the show. Uh, just chatting and chatting about how the two of us met and chatting about how uh, important their band was to both of us. And he was like, that's really cool. Uh, is there anything you want to hear tonight? And we both answered that we would want to hear something off these songs are cursed. And he was like, ah, no, sorry. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> it kind of uh, stopped playing those songs and we're getting really focused on this album. Um, and so I asked if they would play, let's get sick to our stomachs. And they did. And they dedicated to us. And it was, that was a, that was a cool moment, but, in let's get to sick to our stomachs the the last part of the song they borrow a line from your favorite person morrissey oh. <laughs> and i just want to say that um i didn't know that this was a morrissey line for a long time actually until like very recently i didn't realize it was a it was a morrissey line because i never actually listened to morrissey's um morrissey's solo career i am still and probably forever will be a humongous Smiths fan. And then Morrissey died in 1985 and never made anything else and never said anything <laughs> else. Um, <laughs> never said anything untoward. Uh, that's just, we just, we just, we don't know anything about him. We don't know where he went. Um, but on one of his solo releases in the early 90s, he had a song called We Hate It When Our Friends Become Successful. And so North America took that line and repurposed it. Um, and the, the the part in Let's Get Sick to Our Stomachs is we hate it when our, you know, we hate it when our friends become successful. And then they flip it and they say, we will not hate it when our friends become successful. We will not hate it when our friends succeed. Um, and so I, I say that as, a, as another example of the way that this band has become important to me, that I, I keep that in my head. Like I keep that idea in that, 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 that informs how I, how I think, how I try and treat people in the world. And that's maybe why I, I think lyrics are important, or at least part of why I think lyrics are important. Because, again, I don't know why we listen to music if we're not open to being affected by it, if we're not open to being changed by it in some ways. Um, and, you know, I've been in in situations professionally and, and um, academically where uh, they are situations that, that would ordinarily be really high stakes, really competitive. And it's because I have that song in my head, I think, at least in part that I don't think of it that way. Um, you know, people vying for the same jobs often will become very competitive and very um, acrimonious towards each other. Um, and I am, I try really hard to just be really happy when my friends succeed, when my friends, um, you know, find jobs in their, in their chosen field or, or have success in their academic careers. 
Um, and I, I attribute that at least in part to, to this song. So I'm choosing to interpret it as a, a North America uh, interpolation, uh, a making Morrissey better approach, <laughs> <laughs> accounting for his feelings. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of a correction. You know, they're saying, no, Morrissey. You're wrong, Morrissey. People hate it when our friends become successful. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I don't know if you thought that we were going to be like, well, there's this Morrissey reference in this song. <laughs> I Yeah, I wasn't going to catch that. I, I, don't know, not, I, didn't, I didn't think you were going to pick up on it because I know you don't care about Morrissey either. But I thought you were going to do the same thing that you do every time I bring up Morrissey and the Smiths is, well. Oh. <laughs> 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 you could have just said it was a completely original lyric and I never would have known that it was a Morrissey lyric. So, <laughs> uh, No, that's a really nice sentiment. I actually do like that. And I heard something in, I don't know if it was like a tweet or something I saw online where it was, I think it was a podcast talking about, you know, this, this year I'm going to, you know, support fellow podcasters you know even if we're occupying the same space because we're not in competition with each other you know we're not actually against each other you know we're all just trying to create an audience around our you know ourselves so like there's definitely a it's, there's a wisdom to just being like unless it's literally someone taking something out of your you know food out of your mouth or like you know oh i got you fired like that kind of scenario like <laughs> there's no reason to be like you know jealous well i mean not jealous but like yeah be happy for your friends for you know having some success instead of just sitting there and being like what can i have that you know yeah we can we can we can we're i don't know i think for lots of us who are involved in in punk and and diy ethos in particular we can we can think with community instead of competition i for one uh love to be a hater and and fueled (laughs) almost entirely by spite so this (laughs) is an incompatible um, <laughs> philosophy, but I see what you're saying. I guess <laughs> you people should see our chat history. <laughs> <laughs>
other thing that I wanted to to bring up as well is is again just to situate the band in place. The band is is from Halifax, um, and there have always been. Okay, I have lots of complicated feelings about Halifax. I haven't actually been to Halifax, the place where I was born, in over twenty years, and and I would love to go back and see how those those feelings have have changed. Um, but for for anyone who has has grown up, I think, in such close proximity to to water and in particular to the ocean, um, you will understand at least a little bit a little bit more about about the band and, and the references they bring in throughout the music. So there's always been references, uh, like maritime references throughout the discography. And Halifax, or like the regional municipality of Halifax, is is comprised of what used to be two different cities with Halifax on one side of the, the Halifax Harbor and then Dartmouth on the other side. And they were connected by bridges. And then they amalgamated, I think, in the in the mid-90s. And now it's just all the all the Halifax regional municipality. Um but everyone in Halifax, everyone, especially who grows up in Halifax, just comes to know the Halifax explosion as a part of of that place's history, as this this really significant moment. And have I, did either of you spend any time reading about about Halifax and, and the no. Halifax explosion? No. Um, so in in especially one of their songs, uh, it's on the fixes in. They're making really explicit reference to the Halifax explosion, which was this again this really significant moment in Halifax history, where in um, 1917 uh, almost 2,000 people died, and I think I was reading it was it was just under 10,000 more who were injured by an explosion in the harbor that happened when two ships collided. Um, one was a ship that was carrying uh, it was a ship from France that was carrying explosives on the way through the harbor down to New York, um, and it was this this like slow motion collision between these two ships in the harbor that then yeah leveled a bunch of um, buildings killed a whole bunch of people um destroyed a a uh, Mi'kmaq community and really just has has had this this long standing over 100 years now uh this this long standing figuration into into how people think of Halifax and how people in Halifax think of themselves and their relation to 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 water and to, to others um, yeah, so they 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 bring that into this this song in particular, but there's always been lots of maritime references throughout their their discography. It's just this kind of this story. I don't know. I'm sure lots of you grew up in in places where where important things happen that become then part of the story that you tell about that place. And the Halifax explosion is just just one of them. That actually kind of reminds me of a thing that Dylan and I were like learning about last night. That was kind of had the opposite effect, where it was like uh, I don't know about. I feel like a lot of things are just forgotten here around, yeah. at least at least in the part where we're, where we're from. And Dylan sent me this like shirt. It was like, I survived the Marion shootout of like <laughs> 1982. Yeah. Or yeah, 84 or something like that. And I was like, what is this? I have like, I live 45 minutes away from Marion. Like I have no idea what this is even in reference to. And like, I went and did the little research on it and found like an article talking about, it was like a, a prison break. From like these two guys from Tennessee, they broke out of prison in Tennessee. You know, they ran and hid in like the mountains of Tennessee, possibly running drugs. And because the one member was in like a, a motorcycle gang called the Ghost Riders. Hmm. And they, there's there's something about like a rental car that they got in Asheville that they put like two thousand miles on. Yeah, running drugs, and then like they stole another car after that car. Just like they just ran it into the ground, I guess. Yeah. 
And it was just like, and then like they like kill like a Sunday school teacher and take his wife hostage, but then release the wife unhurt. And then like they shoot a cop who pulls them over at one point. And then like they do like a literal like foot chase where like the one guy is like running into houses and like runs into this blind woman's house. The woman has a heart attack. She doesn't she die. I don't, she dies. Oh, I think she died from the heart okay. attack. Yeah. She, she, she has like a heart attack. And then like, he tries to go to another house and then like the owner heard the noise and like tried to shoot him through, you know, it was just like this very, and then the guy winds up dying in like a shootout. Yeah. With the the one guy gets captured. The other guy's like, I'll die before I go back. Like, yeah, they have a big shootout. It's insane. It's an insane story. It sounds like, uh, the lyrics to a song on on Nebraska, like <laughs> it's just like has everything. Yeah, biker yeah, the, gang, drug running, shootouts. N- never yeah. heard this story in my life. Never, never heard this story. That so it's we, interesting how different. I guess because it's it didn't have long term ramifications. I guess is why something like that would be just more forgotten. But, but there's stuff there's stuff like that all the time. I mean there. You know, if you look deeper, there are like factory fires and, you know, yeah. huge incidents that have happened in, you know, in North Carolina history in recent, even in the last hundred years or something that they don't ever get talked about. They don't get brought up. They get they get pushed aside. And I think there's definitely a big difference in, I think, generally American culture. Like there are certainly like huge national events that like no one forgets. But mm. I think when you get into like the smaller regions, people get pretty selective about what they remember and especially anything that makes the state look bad or anything that makes like the people look bad. I mean, it's, it's any Southern state has some horrifying, you know, racist, you know, violence that has happened. That's been buried and doesn't get talked about. And there's, yeah, I think there's a pretty big difference in the way American and Canadian cultures deal with the, bad things that they've done or things that have happened because of negligence. Not that, you know, Canada certainly has its own like pretty bad history with indigenous people that they don't take credit for. But there's at least, I feel like as an American, I get, when I hear about that from Canada, I sense more remorse and (laughs) taking a little more responsibility for it. And when I hear about like American, you know, treatment of indigenous people there's there's certainly people who know and are like it was awful and a terrible thing and but like most of the people that i hear that stuff from are people who are directly connected to indigenous communities or either are indigenous or you know have family who are who are and there's still a lot of american sensibility about that that it's like well it's it's almost like what do you want me to do about it now it's kind of the attitude yeah (laughs) it's like mostly just acknowledge it really at this let's start there (laughs) but yeah that's that's the difference i think (laughs) going back to that point what you were saying yeah cool i don't i don't have any other thoughts on this album um i don't i guess we never really like said we just said like what we thought it sounded like but we never really like say like our thoughts on like if we liked it or not and i i very much enjoyed this record i think it's a really really fun record it does tap in a lot of those sounds that we talked about earlier i think the front half is probably stronger than the back half i did feel like as i was listening to it like the album got a little weaker as it progressed and i guess leaning more into those like those chapel hill pavement influences than like the more 
of the moment, you know, level plane discord style stuff that was going on at the time. Mm. Um, there's nothing on here. I, I don't like though. There's no, there's every part of this record I think is really good and enjoyable. I do think some standouts, I think the standouts are the first three songs on the record. Yeah. Keep it on the download. Wet to dance. Let's stick to our, let's stick to our stomachs. And I really liked all, all actors are liars as well. Oh, that is an element of the band that I really enjoyed. The like the more like melodic vocals and like when they would bring in like these um there's multiple different backing vocalists throughout this record. Like these just yep. different different women throughout. There's like four or five like women associated on this record that like do backing vocals on here. And anytime that they kind of get like a moment to really stand out, like on uh like all actors are liars. Um, what's another good one that has that I guess I didn't note them, but Wet to Dance, I think, has a pretty good little like chorus in the middle. I really like like the analog synths that show up on a couple of these tracks. Wet to Dance has that as well. And All Actors Are Liars. Um Yeah. I like yeah, to me it's like a the, the, the front half of the record is the strongest. But everything on the back half I'm still like into. Like it's still very good. Uh I think the closer is really good. It's like a it's a really good like album closer. Let's get yeah. tight. I liked uh, Voting No on Warming of Antarctica and Yes to Yes, Curse to Curse are both pretty, really good songs. Yeah, I, it, it's a really good record from front to back. That The back half does remind me a little bit more of the Constantines. Yeah. And, uh, we've talked quite a bit about doing something Constantines related with you for a long, for a long time now. Yeah. We've promised it for years at this point. And yeah, listening to that and like knowing that they're from, you know, putting out music around the same time. And I guess you could argue... They're in the same. I guess Constantines are probably a, a bigger band. Uh, you would have to tell me for sure if, if they Definitely. were or not. But yeah, they're occupying like a similar lane, though, to me, more so than like something like the Weaker Thans or anyone like that. You know, like completely different styles of music. Yeah, and definitely in terms of like cultural impact. Um, yeah, North America was was very much in the underground. Yeah. Dylan, what did you yeah. actually think of the album? Because we didn't really get your take. This either. was their last release too. They had uh, this was their last official release, and then they they put out a cassette in 2010 uh, that coincided with a couple of a couple of reunion shows they were doing. Um, I liked the record. I it's kind of an interesting the way I look at it. The first half, I think the songs have more prominent hooks and are more like there's maybe something to kind of latch on to on the individual songs more. But I do. I think I like the way the band sounds on the back half of the record more. I feel like my first, the first half of the record, I was listening to it and being like, oh, well, this is kind of like Fugazi. Oh, well, this is kind of like, you know, this or that, or, you know, and I could, there's like a Don Cab kind of thing here, or it's, I felt myself being distracted listening for the first half of the record to making all of the connections to what they sound like and all of the different influences that they're drawing on. And the the last half of the record, while the songs themselves individually didn't stand out as as much to me, it sounded more like a cohesive band. And maybe it was just a matter of like settling into those like what they what they sound like as I was going and being like running out of names to make comparisons to um, <laughs> yeah. that. I was just like, all right, I'll just listen to this as if it's its own band, but they felt, yeah, the, the back half of the record felt like North of America. It felt like a band with their own distinct sound, less, less like a patchwork of like similarities and influences. And 
Yeah, that makes sense. A couple things that I was reading was saying that like the band broke up like before the record actually came out. Was that do you think that was accurate or is that just Americans not knowing about them until later and being like, they must have broke up before I heard it. Yeah, I don't I don't remember because I don't. So they, de- they definitely broke up around the time of this album, because then when I saw them, when they were reunited was was, I think, 2005 with Ted Leo. Um, and then and then after that, I don't think they ever really said we're broken up. Um, I think members maybe, maybe left Halifax. I want to say one, at least one of them lives in Vancouver now or lived in Vancouver at least for a time. Um, so opposite ends of the country. And yeah, made getting back together a little bit more difficult. And then they went on to other bands as well. So um, they went on to be in Vikings, which was a great band. One you may be familiar with, you both may be familiar with, was The Holy Shroud. Uh, the Holy Shroud had an album out on Level Plane as well called Ghost Repeaters that is great. Um, that is is kind of leans into more of the, the post-hardcore sound that you hear in a little bit of, of Brothers Sisters. And then, and then, yeah, they seem to come back every every five years or so, every five years or so, um, usually coinciding with some some anniversaries. Yeah, the way what I read was basically the band broke up in 2003, but then chose to do that tour with Ted Leo in 2005. So I guess it was like, a, I, could, I could see that being more of a, yeah, we're not doing anything for a while. And then like an option came up to do something really cool. And they're like, well, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's go on this tour. Yeah, and they, they all kept playing together. Like, I think the Holy Shroud is three fourths of the band. Um, I think Vikings is is uh, two members of the band. There's another band that I'm just I'm forgetting the name now, but they had a great album in the last couple of years that was also two of them. So they're all still all still friends and all still collaborating musically. Um, but yeah, no new no new North American music. Since. Was that band Kestrels? Kestrels, I oh I can't remember if Kestrels had a member. Maybe one member. Uh, they were they were on their label though. Uh, one of the members of North America started a label and put out Kestrels. I was trying to remember. Holy Shroud did a split with someone. Dylan, do you remember who that is? Does that name sound familiar? I think it was with Transistor Transistor, wasn't it? Hot Cross. They just split with Hot Cross. Oh. Yeah. Mm. I was confused with my level playing bands. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's why I, was, I asked Dylan. I was like, if you remembered that band specifically being. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's like that's half of <sighs> North of America. vaguely remember that split. I may have downloaded that at some point. It's two songs, so. Yeah, um, Kestrels, Jim McAlpine is in Kestrels. Okay. And so is Michael Catano, yeah. So, yeah, that's it's probably more of a spinoff of the Holy Shroud than a spinoff specifically of North of America, but... Yeah. And they, like, like, they they sound totally different. Do they? I, I didn't listen to any of the other projects they did. Yeah. I, I love the um, Google image results for Holy Shroud Hot Cross Split because you get the, the split album cover but then you also get like pictures of the shroud of turin <laughs> and like some renaissance paintings someone's entire hot cross vinyl collection <laughs> that same terrible picture of billy from hot cross that's like the wikipedia picture has been for like 15 years yeah. and um some a wall uh, a walnut wall cross that you can order from amazon.com that's pretty awesome so, yeah we got catholic company Walnut, Holy Shroud of Turin, Crucifix, (laughs) (laughs) 8-inch. They like to make themselves ungoogleable. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if you're betting for Kestrels, you'll just have bird pictures. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> I mean, if you look at major awards band, you get um, Grammy um, <laughs> news. <laughs> uh, the band reunited as recently as November 2023. Like they played two show, two three shows, I believe, and yep. uh, just part of their regular every few years reunion thing that they seem to do, which is cool that they actually do that because so many of our favorite bands don't even do that. You know, like they just were like, we're done and we're done. And we, you know, we never come back, but yeah, it's nice that they still keep at it. This album got reviewed in pitchfork. It got a 7.1. I think it was a fairly positive review. I don't think it was any, there wasn't anything in it that I was like, really jumped out to me. I did read a, like, I think scene point blank gave it like an 8.5 out of 10, which is pretty good. And then razor cake did a review of it in like Oh five. And it's a shitty review. It's just like the review is <laughs> like razor cake. It's just complaining about like a ton of other things that have nothing to do with the actual record. And then it gets to the very end and it's like, it's just a bunch of noise and then complaining about it. Like all these bands these days sound like shit. And that was the end of the review. And it was like, why did y'all publish this? <laughs> <laughs> Your grandpa reviewed it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's kind of like the biggest press that I really it's all about it so yeah under the radar band yeah didn't quite make the leap across the, the border to the u.s yeah but enough to get on level plane so that, that's something um yeah i think it's a really good record though i liked it quite a bit i haven't listened to everything they've put out i am most familiar with the first album i i think i think dylan should go back and listen to the first album i think i think you would like it quite a lot yeah i'm interested to hear their other stuff for sure yeah you won't listen to it, but I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said I'm interested, not I'm going to listen to it. Maybe if I bug you about it enough, you'll listen to it. You got to catch him before he gets on the bus. Oh, wait, you don't go. You don't ride the don't bus think, anymore. I don't do that anymore. Well, before you go to work, yeah, cool. <laughs> I'll listen to oh, yeah. 15 minutes of it. Thank you for thank you for letting me come on and talk about it. Yeah. I, you know, after we like made the selections and then you chose this album, I was like, or I could have just picked four albums that I know he likes and then made him really choose one. You know, <laughs> maybe we'll do that next time. <laughs> save, that. save that for the next visit. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us and uh, taking part of a kind of an, a throwback format of the show, really. Because we the way we used to do it is like we would pull a list and we would give that list to our guests to be like, all right, which one of these sounds interesting to you? <laughs> and so many times people are yeah. like you got anything else or nice. i don't know any of these uh and they yeah. are not happy <laughs> cool well next time i'll i'll try and figure out another way to not do what is asked of me <laughs> <laughs> this is this is we come to expect this yeah, yeah. from you from... <laughs> i'm not gonna do that uh... <laughs> well thank you for joining us and choosing this album for us to talk about because it's a really fun record and I think choosing something that maybe isn't the most popular, but means a lot to you makes for much more interesting uh, conversation because anytime it's, it's just this, like, I don't know the big, huge record. Everybody kind of comes to it with preconceived notions and thoughts on things. So maybe we've, maybe we've made some new North America fans listening to this episode. I hope so. And uh, yeah, I'll see you on the discord. That's right. To order punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.